Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with Andy and Steve. Hello. Good to be here. Excited to talk about this. Yeah, it it is good to be here. I'm. Uh, this topic is going to be a, a fun one. Now, for those of you who are fans of Disney and that sort of thing, we want to let you know that there may or may not be spoiler alerts, but that is entirely your fault because the series finale <laughs> of the series we're talking about is Loki. And we're talking about different elements of it, different contrasts between life and death and purpose and everything in between. And so there may be some spoilers because we've seen it through at a reasonable amount of time to have conversation. So anything from this point, (laughs) we wash our hands from. (laughs) Let's dive in. (laughs) So I don't know about you guys, but I was hooked first, first episode. And I guess it's the philosopher in me. I loved every. I I really enjoyed this the this series. How about you guys? You know, I I am really impressed with the production quality of these shows now, um, especially involving you know like Loki or like um, Star Wars, right? Mandalorian, you know those kinds of things that Disney uh, has been kind of pumping out or whatever. Because typically you think, oh, you know movies are better quality and then tv shows are slightly lesser quality but you wouldn't know that by watching shows like loki like it was really well done Mm -hmm. the moment i found out they're doing a series i was pumped because loki's character if if for anyone who's watched the avengers movies uh or the thor movies loki's character one is played phenomenally like he's the actor I'm, i'm his name is slipping me right now Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston, yeah. He is a phenomenal actor. And I'm I'm one of those people that's probably going to be a fan of anything he's in. So hopefully he can top this. But just the the I think one of the things that really drew me to his character was not so much that he it, it wasn't the fact that he's a villain. It's actually that he's more of like an anti-hero. His little plots and deceptions and things like that. Um were were really driven from a less malicious place as many Marvel characters are and more from one of longing and purpose and that sort of thing. So I loved it. That's the kind of show that I really appreciate uh, is where the characters are less sort of more, more complex than just this kind of one dimensional kind of thing. Cause yeah. typically when you watch, you know, classic Disney animated shows for example like the lion king let's say i mean you look at scar right mufasa's little brother and you know he's a bad guy and he will always be a bad guy Mm -hmm. right but then you look at a character like loki there is a lot more uh, this is something i'm real this is something that i'm recognizing more and more i don't know if you noticed this too but uh Movies and TV shows lately have been uh, using a lot more sort of counseling and psychology angle to it. So you kind of dig into the character's past and how he's conflicted. Yeah, Loki wanted to be accepted by the family, but he always was rejected and he always lost. He never won. You know, those kinds of things and how these emotions are being leveraged, right, to get him to cooperate with, you know, whatever the the main character, uh, other characters there are doing mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And so that's sort of getting into the mind of that uh, hero or anti-hero through psychology and counseling, I thought was really, it's, it's an interesting layer. Mm-hmm. 
And it's actually a layer that they tip their hat to with regards to Loki, in particular, his variants, and that he falls in love with himself. It's this narcissism of his character in which... And, and by the way, so this this character who falls in love with you know Sylvie, who's played brilliantly, I thought. I think yeah. there's real chemistry there. Uh, what's her Sophia Di Martino? Uh, Di Martino. So she does she does a great job. There's some great chemistry there. But I think that it's an interesting psychological you know layer of him falling in love with himself, right? This this narcissism that's inherent to his character. Yeah, and um, so just for our listeners who, to your shame, have not yet watched this show, so basically what happens is you go back to, so this is New York City, here is Loki being dragged away by the Avengers, but uh, just by happenstance, he gets his hands on the Tesseract, and, and then he gets transported across time to some other place. He actually ends up in Gobi Desert. And this is where he encounters these uh, armored, what look like policemen, policemen and women, that just kind of come through this weird orange portal. And turns out these guys are from the Time Variance Authority. They arrest him for basically messing with this current timeline, what they call the sacred timeline. And Time Variance Authority, their whole purpose is to maintain this sacred timeline from going awry. So it was a to them it was a crime when Loki jumped across space and time because now you're you're creating a variance right in time. And so he is taken in and now he is called a variant. And th- this is not a good thing. You you're a criminal basically. And uh there what he finds out is there is an other versions, another version of himself uh, from some kind of some other timeline that is messing with things. And uh, agents of T- Time Variance Authority or TVA are being killed, they're going missing, and things like that. So, in a sense, he is Loki is forced to cooperate with TVA to solve this mystery. And this is where he meets another version of himself female character by the name of sylvie so this is the context so there's lots to hash out there there's lots there is a lot now the character i don't know if you guys have seen this but that the internet has uh enjoyed the most of the loki variants because for those that have watched the show uh he encounters at the end of time uh when you get pruned you head to the end of time again if you haven't seen the show these are tons of spoiler alerts Uh, so we pretty much already ruined it for you but it's going to get more ruined as we go he's meeting all these variants of himself which is it's i thought was hilarious personally and the internet went crazy over the alligator that's right yeah yeah. (laughs) there's a loki in the form of an alligator and like lots of others like so it's interesting that different versions of Loki are not just exactly like that actor, right? That are just wearing different suits. Although there was one other that looked just like him, mm-hmm. right? Wearing the same, you know, the horns and everything. But like Loki shows up as a big black dude with a hammer, a little kid who who slew Thor, and and all the and of course 
the most sort of the iconic out of this whole show is Sylvie, the female version of himself, which if you're a fan of the comic, you know that after Ragnarok, that final big battle in Asgard, Loki actually turns into a, a woman. So fans have been wondering about where is this lady Loki going to come from? And sure enough, here's Sylvie, right? And so, but here's the question. Are these really Lokis? I guess that's one question. Yeah. <laughs> I, that is a great question that I thought of when I'm watching it. Yeah, the philosopher comes out, I guess, and goes, well, can we actually say that those are Lokis? Uh, and in what sense could we even say that they're Lokis? Now, I have heard that the writers of this show have like said, you know, or the producers that don't think too much about, you know, the philosophy here. This is more of a story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's fun to kind of think about. I mean, it telling aspiring philosophers not to think is like telling a bird not <laughs> to fly. So we are going to think about it and we're probably gonna overthink it, but more than likely. Yeah. Yeah, when I saw those different versions, it was um, I, I actually started thinking more to different aspects of Loki's nature. Like mm -hmm. when you watch the show, when you start seeing the different Lokis and how they operate and what they do, you can see little bits of if you've again, if you've watched the Marvel series, if you've read the comics, that sort of thing, you see different aspects of Loki The you know, the older one, there is a level of wisdom and patience in decision there when you see loki as the alligator it's very impulsive and just angry and grumpy the whole time the little boy there's Chomps this, your hand off right the little boy there's this level of innocence and then and then you see yeah you see with sylvie that dynamic for me again we are gonna go further than we probably should but that dynamic for me was this part where i was starting to you start to see um loki's wrestle within himself and it's perfectly portrayed between the relationship between these two. You know, one might go as far as saying, one might go as far as saying, this is what it looks like for a person to come to terms with themselves, having a hard time loving themselves. And mm -hmm. as weird as it gets portrayed, because it's like, technically, you are very narcissistic, but that's true to Loki's character. He's in love with himself. Um, and so it, it was really interesting for me to sit back and. You know, I'm obviously sitting back trying to just enjoy it. But again, my brain is like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And that's one thing that um, Marvel movies are so good at is they sometimes give you these mind benders, right? Uh, as they, you know, bring in elements like time and multiverse and, and those kinds of things. And these are concepts that, if you're not familiar with with them, like it can really throw you around for a loop. As I was watching it and I was looking at all these different Lokis, of course, you know, the philosopher in me, I, as I'm sure you guys had, had the same thought too, is like, okay, what pulls them all together? Right? This this is the the huge question of okay, what makes Loki Loki? You know, what is it about Sylvie that makes her a, a version of Loki? What about the alligator, the old guy, the young one, all those kinds of things? Loki being a god of mischief, if you're familiar with that Norse mythology, I mean, he is a god of mischief, right? Um, is that 
what he is? Does he always lie and cheat and things like that? But then you see him start to change a bit, right? Um, and and it was really interesting towards the end when Loki and Sylvie were talking together and they're coming to, you know, to recognize the fact that, okay, Sylvie, you can't trust anyone and me, I can't be trusted, right? Um, so it's so a very, very interesting dynamic. But yeah, what what is it that pulls them all together? Now, this is what philosophers would call it. They use this fancy word, right? Essence. What is it? What is the essence of Loki? So an essence is something that makes you what you are, makes something what it is and not something else. So that, which that, what you get in this show is that there is a multiverse and that these are different variants within this multiverse that 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 I, I you know that raise some really interesting questions mm-hmm. that actually have theological import that we could talk yeah. about because uh these these are philosophical concepts that different you know philosophers and theologians have used to help either try to understand or at least provide logical uh, explanations to questions with regards to free will and um, predestination or predetermination, which is a major theme that comes out in the show, particularly at the end. Yeah, yeah. One, one of my favorite quotes that actually like it it foreshadows the end is one of the first quotes we get from Loki. When they ask him who he is, he says, I am Loki of Asgard, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. When he said that, I was like, ah, wow. That's just a really good quote. You take the story, <laughs> you take the story away. You know, I'm one of those people that I can get triggered by a really good quote because that to a certain degree is the believer as well. I, I think about my, for myself, it's like, man, I am I am Troy Lydiot of Vancouver, BC, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. And it's this the the contrast with that is Loki truly believed that his entire purpose was to be mischievous, to cheat, to lie, to steal, to do, to just wreak havoc because that has that was all he had been shown. And I think for so many people, even believers, truth be told, until the scales are kind of pulled off of people's eyes, you just assume, I guess this is all there is. I guess this is all I'm called to do, even within the construct of of church and ministry, we can get so focused with our head down and think that this is all there is. What do, what do you guys think about that quote? Well, I think it's interesting how easily that evolves into a desire to try to either fulfill that, you know, that glorious purpose or to try to find that glorious purpose and how often you particularly see this in Loki's character that he is power hungry. His desire is to rule. He thinks that he should be in charge of the universe. Mm. And we might laugh and scoff at that, but but at the the heart of sin yeah. <laughs> is you know, is the human condition that that we see in certain characters throughout history, but sadly, if we're honest with ourselves, we see it in ourselves as well. That that we have this own bent. And I thought it was really interesting that that comes out a little bit more in the last episode, right? So, and there was something of a a biblical theme or picture, and I found it really interesting that when they finally 
come to see the sort of the timekeeper guy, right? So the so-called he who remains, almost like this semi-god figure who is in control of protecting the sacred timeline. Have you noticed that it's it's this guy with an apple in in one hand, and here is Loki and Sylvie, and they are being offered this chance, right? Okay, so I I am I've been so he who remains says that I've been lying, you know, setting up this something of an illusion to protect the sacred timeline because there are other versions of myself that are way nastier. And if this sacred timeline connects with all these other multiverses, there we're going to have a multiversal war. So for the greater good, I've been, you know, um, taking people to, you know, turn them into sort of to, to work for TVA to, in order to protect everyone. But then what he does is he actually offers that position to Loki and Sylvie, and they have to really think about this. Right. And, and then, as he's you talking could, you about could say this, yeah, th- this knowledge, yeah, it's it's a knowledge, right, of good, of good and evil, if you yeah. will, or just mm-hmm. how dark it can go, because he sets that up, right? Yeah, and and then that's exactly it. And then just as they were walking in to see he who remains, did you notice that Loki's like, we're gonna write our own destiny, right? And, I, and I'm just like, that's Genesis three right there, mm-hmm. when Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were in effect saying, we're going to be the masters of our own destiny. And even a step further, when Sylvie make, starts leaning towards, hey, let's take control of this, all of a sudden Loki's like, oh, we shouldn't do this. But if I was Sylvie, I'd be like, well, you brought me in here, said this was this was the good idea. You could have said all of this stuff on the way in here. Now all of a sudden, Adam, all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, and, and and it does have that that Adam and Eve flavor mm-hmm. as yeah. these two are wrestling because this this is such an important point. Sometimes in theology, you know, people will think, oh, you know, with you know, with the garden narrative, Genesis three, that this is Eve and, and the serpent. But as you get to the end, it's no, it's Adam, Eve, and the serpent. Like it's yeah. it's all three of them. All of them. Yeah. And 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 I see that this playing out in that scene. That's immediately where my mind went to, Steve. I'm yeah. I'm like, this this is playing out of of Adam and Eve. Although <clears throat> this this uh, he who remains, uh, I don't see that. Yes, it's like a godlike character, but I I see that as the serpent. Right. That is that is setting up mm-hmm. this temptation. And going to allow them to decide yeah. uh, how it's going to play out. And it's really interesting that he who remains, as he's talking to Loki and Sylvie, he constantly chomps on that apple, right? And it's just like, yeah, that's such a, to me, that was such a clear picture of Genesis 3. Um, and even the fact that um, Loki and uh, Sylvie, they are very much like the other, mm-hmm. right? They are, you know, two versions of, well, th- there's a whole another question of which Loki is then is the standard, but um, either way, they are like each other. And that is actually uh, an image that you get uh, from Genesis 2, when God brings all these animals to Adam because he sees that it's not good for the man to be alone. Uh, but it says that among the animals, no suitable helper was found. So God puts Adam to sleep, creates Eve, 
And when Adam wakes up, he says, now finally, right? Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, because she was taken from, because she was taken from the man, Ish, she shall be called the woman, Isha. And this idea of you are like me, right? And and I thought that was an interesting parallel as well. You, you do see that parallel, particularly in that Loki falls in love with Sylvie and there is something about her that changes him that that is uh you know having having a, a dramatic effect on this character that once was one way and you're starting to see that that he's he's wrestling through it which i thought was just really good storytelling mm. so one of the things that you notice i don't know if you guys noticed this but it's kintsugi artwork is everywhere is all is everywhere the whole thing's really built of Kintsugi artwork, really. Yeah, right. Once once Loki and Sylvie find he who remains, that big citadel where he dwells, you walk in, yeah, you see that um, Kintsugi style everywhere as soon as they get there. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very interesting for me. Um, yeah, that, again, that whole dynamic of the three of them. And, and I think there's something that we really need to remind ourselves uh, there's a moment where after they have somewhat made their decision, all of a sudden he who remains literally says, I actually don't know what happens after this point. And yeah. it, and it reminded me a lot of, of you know, again, Eden, because the, the, the enemy isn't all knowing, right? The devil isn't all knowing. He is very circumstantial. He, he can read patterns of behavior. He can set traps. He can set schemes, right? I don't see the devil knowing he is going to get turned into a, you know, he's going to have to slither on his stomach forever. I just see him setting up a situation that he knows is like, well, this is what got me in trouble, right? Because the, if, you, if you dive a little deeper into what happens with, you know, the Loki and he who remains scenario, how, you know, if you watch the, the, the final end credit, scene where you see Loki run back to, cause he's sent back to the TVA and he runs back in to try and speak to Mobius and um, one of the other played with played by Owen Wilson, by the way, who was wow. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, he runs back in there and he tries to tell them, this is what happened. This is what happened. But because everything happened so quickly, Already the multiverse has changed and you see the statue of he who remains now in the TVA and no one, everyone's memory has been wiped. And there's just this, I just imagine, you know, it's like Adam and Eve knowing, man, they've just been kicked out of the garden, literally. And knowing, oh man, we have just changed everything. But now we actually have no idea how this is going to be fixed. Right. Yeah, and uh, just to throw in here, we are identifying some biblical themes in this story, which I, I do think it was it was great storytelling. Uh, however, to be fair to all those comic book nerds out there, uh, this this is playing off of Marvel comics, yes. and he who remains is a Marvel character. The character's name is Kang, and he's one of the more devious or evil villains in the the Marvel universe. Kang the Conqueror. So, yeah, Kang the Conqueror. So I do just want to say, you know, like we please understand, we understand Disney's not writing some sort of, you know, 
Christian. Um, <laughs> put it on pure. Yeah. Put it on pure flicks right away. <laughs> <laughs> because interestingly, on that note, actually, uh, Troy is you know there was there was some controversy in this 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 show in which there's a conversation between Loki and Sylvie with regards to their sexual preference uh and the, you know this this was one of those moments where you know we are all have, have become all too accustomed as various TV shows keep pushing the boundary mm-hmm of what's acceptable to talk about or to to promote in the, the these different characters. And so it was interesting for me as a parent because I I began watching this with my kids and then I knew that the, then I saw in the news that that this scene happens and uh you know as a parent you have to you have to question okay am I going to let my kids watch us or do I stop watching this show? Um my wife and I chose to um, to talk with our kids about it. And this is a, a stance that we're taking more and more. Cause as I was just thinking and praying about it, I'm like, man, if I, if I stop watching something or stop reading something with my kids, every time they come across something questionable, uh, that is going to be a never ending task. And yeah. then I thought to myself, what am I going to do when they're 18? What am I going to do when they're 19? What am I going to do when they're off in college on their own? Have I equipped them to identify these sorts of things and to think through yeah. uh, these sorts of issues that culture throw at us? I mean, that this isn't new. This has always been the case. And uh, I, I don't know if if you guys had to, you know had to wrestle through that, but for me, my kids are in that age. You know, mine are, are a little bit older than yours, uh, where I had to 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 take that moment where. Where we we watched, we we pressed pause, and we had a conversation. And I I would say, if anything, as a Christian parent, uh, I'm actually I'm actually appreciating those moments because it it's forcing me to have these conversations where I'm saying, "Hey, look, look, guys, this is something that's being promoted by our society." But as a as a Christian, here's how we understand, and, and I think this is an important point. Not that we're constantly saying this is what we disagree with, but it's a moment that we can say, hey, as Christians, this is what we understand to be God's plan, you know, for men and women, that that we get that we get married in a in a in a union between a, a man and a woman for life, you know, sort of thing that that it's not some sort of open marriage and that you, you know, that you have whatever sexual encounters you want and you know what I'm saying? It's like it's yeah. this moment to to positively say here here's what the Christian worldview uh, is. No, I I agree with you. And you know, my kids are only seven and five, but we find ourselves having to talk about it already. So for me, in in you know, on the one hand, I mean, this is a big deal. Sexuality is a big deal. God has created us. I mean, in in a sexual act, my goodness, you can bring a whole. God's image bearer into the world. How crazy is that thought? I mean, I remember when we had our girl, uh, our firstborn, my wife and I over and over again said, that's crazy. We just brought a whole human being into the world, right? I mean, that's, that, I mean, that's this crazy thought. You know what I mean? Well, that's an interesting point. There's a, there's a book out by Douglas Murray called The Madness of Crowds. And this is, he's actually, uh, 
he's actually an atheist, identifies as a homosexual, and he actually makes this argument. So it's interesting when you have a homosexual making this argument where he's saying, listen, you got to be careful in our society because so much of our news, and I think this is actually a prime example of it, a big news article going, oh, look, you know, Loki, you know, says that, you know, his sexual preferences, you know, is is various, uh, and that we live in a time in which the media is constantly highlighting these things. Because mm-hmm. this was one of his points in the book, is it's like, he's like, it's ridiculous that you can't get away from this. Like, anytime the media sees something in the news that they can highlight or or bring in, even inappropriately, I mean, what his, one of his points is a tsunami had just happened, you know, hundreds of people killed, and and that that gets in with, you know, oh, so-and-so came out. You know, and he's like, are you kidding me? Right. Like 800 people died, you know, in Indonesia. And and you're going to put that on par with so-and-so coming out? Uh, like, it's like, it's just this constant uh, agenda being pushed through the media. And timely. And, and, and uh, yeah. So, anyway. And timely, because when, when the Loki series came out, it was, it was Pride Month. So... For me, it was just one of those things where when I saw it and, you you know, you see for those listeners who haven't seen it yet, essentially they go over uh, Loki's file. And if you look at his file where it says gender, it says fluid. It says it right on the file. And it's one of those Disney hidden things that's very much in plain sight for those that are always looking for those things. But very similar, like with with my with my my daughter, she's three years old and she's starting to just recognize certain things but even in her own mind she has made uh clear distinctions of what she believes men and women should do she's three years old and for example she'll be doing her nails with with my wife and she'll say daddy you can't get your nails done because boys don't do their nails and i was like i don't but there are some boys that do and if that's something that they're going to do, then you need to learn to respect them. And I know that she may not fully understand the gravity of what I've said, but it's one of those practices in her mind is like, you're going to learn to honor and respect people. And and so I've kind of come to this place where the Lord has been showing me how to navigate it. It has less to do with identifying who might be this and who might be that, but how, uh, teaching her to love people. Like we say this all the time on the show, love yeah. God, love people. How do we love people? Well how Christ sees them. And when I look through that lens, it allows me to love them even more and not get, get into these, these spats. Like these are conversations that need to be had, but there's definitely healthy ways of going about doing it. On another level though, when I look at those kinds of things, I wonder if we're reading our current views on sexuality into a context that, you know, wasn't really there originally. So what I mean by that is when you look at polytheistic mythologies, whether it's Greco-Roman mythology, Norse mythology, which is the sort of the world of Loki, those kinds of things, you read about gods coming down on earth in all kinds of various forms, yep. men and women and animals, trees, you know, all kinds of things. Um, that doesn't therefore mean that they're transgender, or that somehow their gender is fluid, right? And I think this is just a case of our postmodern deconstructionist kind of a world reading our 21st century Western view into a context. They're basically reading it into 
these things, or they're sort of reinventing these mythologies in the form of these TV shows and whatnot. This is the challenge, though, that we live in, because this is becoming more and more prevalent. And as parents, we require a lot of wisdom, Mm -hmm. a lot of wisdom. I mean, as a parent, I'm constantly praying, Lord, help me navigate this culture. Yeah, it is. It is so challenging to do so uh, in a healthy way as 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 in and interestingly enough something that's been coming out in the news more i don't know if you guys have seen this but just different groups that have actually come out more and more about how strategically they are targeting children listen this conversation could easily head down that track but a different level of what was taking place in loki that i would say is probably a major theme of the show is free will yeah now, I, I'm just going to make a distinction here for listeners, because I often will get asked this, with regards to predestination and what I talk about as predetermination. And so let me just make a quick distinction here uh, that might be helpful. This is a major theological question that gets debated, is what does the Bible teach? Does the Bible teach predestination or predetermination? Uh, and this mm. is an aspect of what's getting teased out in in Loki. Just for those that are intrigued by this, I would argue that the Bible does preach uh, predestination. I, I don't think you could challenge that. I mean, that's just very clear. But the, again, the question becomes, well, what do you mean by it? So what I mean by it is this, is, uh, and maybe the best way to explain it is with analogy. I have predestined my children to go to college. So I've got them in school. I'm saving money for their college. And I'm encouraging them to go to college. I have predestined them to go to college. You could say I've chosen college for them. The big question is whether or not they can do otherwise. Do they have to go to college? Right. And and I would say, as a parent, no, they don't have to go to college. But uh, a theological question that can be asked is, okay, have we been predestined for salvation? And And I would say, particularly when you look at, say, the Jewish nation, for example, that God chose, predestined, the Jewish nation by which God would bring forth the Messiah for the purpose of salvation. Can you choose otherwise? Well, when you look at the Jewish nation, I would say, well, absolutely, you can choose otherwise, and they did choose otherwise. And you hear Paul constantly talking about how frustrated he is that the Gentiles are coming to faith and the Jews aren't. It's one of his major frustrations. Uh, Of course, a big theological question that divides the Calvinist and the Arminian is, is whether or not you can do otherwise. Uh, if God chooses you, do you have to believe or not? So this is where predetermination comes into effect. And predetermination would say you cannot do otherwise. If God has chosen you for, for salvation, then you are, you are destined for it. You cannot choose otherwise. That is a really good distinction. And I don't think even, I, I'll say it, I, I don't think I've ever heard it put that way. So thank you for doing that, because that is something that people get tripped up on. And I remember being in Bible college, and literally it's like, you sit at opposite tables at some points, you know? And there was me, who was in the middle, trying not to diminish anything, but I I was at this place where I was like, man, I don't know, I just... I just love Jesus. And then you get the, oh, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I just, it's one of those things where, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't something that I've 
that I'd ever felt convicted or compelled to really get tripped up on because where my attention was, was not like, I'm just going to ignore these things and go my own way. Knowing that Jesus loves me, I have to make a choice that my actions reflect my love for him. Salvation was given as a gift. Faith is a gift. I have to recognize those things in, in my day to day. And with, with the story of Loki, he had to make a decision. Am I just going to be bound by what I have thought was my reality forever? Or am I going to, am I going to make a decision? And ultimately, he does. And it's probably what, what's interesting is the first time you really see Loki, despite what his quote is, um, it's probably one of the first times you really see him lose. Because he says... Uh, Sylvie asks him, do you think what makes a Loki a Loki is the fact that we're destined to lose? And Loki's response is, no, we may lose, sometimes painfully, but we don't die. We survive. Loss wasn't really his greatest concern. Survival was his greatest concern. This is a really interesting point because in the show, you see, if I understand correctly with the show, what it seems is that Kang, this, this, the conqueror character explains that he has predetermined everything to a point. Yeah. And then there is this point that happens in the show where he says, I don't know what happens from here. Like I haven't predetermined anything else from here. And from here on in, it's, it's free will. You're going to choose, but there's going to be, there's going to be implications to your choice. Yeah, um, what I thought was really interesting was it seemed to me like the show, the writers of the show were sort of talking out of both corners of their mouth. Because on the one hand, they were. Mm-hmm. there was very much this sense that everything is predetermined. You have really no free will, right? Like everything's going to plan, just pan out exactly the way every aspect of it is going to pan out exactly the way it's supposed to. And yet, on the other hand, there are choices that are being made and things like and that. And time variance. Exactly. That doesn't fit into, if everything is predetermined, time variance doesn't make sense. That's right. And in, in the last episode, that time variance goes to that critical threshold to the point of no return. And that's where everything goes awry, right? So that's where Kang, or He Who Remains, says... Yeah, now I don't know what's going to happen from here because now we've reached that threshold, and and so I I found that a little inconsistent. I I would say I found that a lot inconsistent there, but it it is an interesting thing because I I can't help but feel like they are playing off of this Calvinist Arminian debate that has happened for a really long time and. And you're right, by the way, Troy, that that often does divide us. I will say this, although I'm not Calvinist, I have many friends that are. And, you know, in ministry, you know, pastoring for 20 years, you know, you have to learn how to work together, even though you disagree with each other on this. However, there are a variety of different interpretations or understanding. You can tell, though, in the show that they're really pitting these two uh, against each other. I think that's why, Mm. Steve, I'd argue that's why they are speaking out both ends of their mouths, is because they're saying... Which is it? Is yeah. it free will or is it determinate or are you determined? Now, it's interesting because there is a middle position that, that people might not be aware of that the, the time variant thing is, is playing off of at some level 
And that is the concept of Molinism, or what's known as middle knowledge. And, and, and in, as well, when you get these variations of Lokis, that very much is a type. I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but I, mean, I, I would say that that is a type of middle knowledge or, or counterfactual. What, what would you say to that? Yeah. So middle knowledge, what on earth is that? It's God's knowledge of everything that would be the case if certain conditions were to obtain. So in theology, we talk about typically two different types of knowledge of God. So one is God's knowledge of everything that is possible everything that could be. That's called natural knowledge. And then his knowledge of everything that will be is called God's free knowledge. Typically, those two have been the the sort of the pillars of our understanding of God's all-knowing nature. But in the 1500s, this uh, Jesuit priest by the name of Luis de Molina uh, came up with this idea of middle knowledge. So he calls it middle because, well, there's the natural knowledge and the free knowledge, and this one kind of fits in the middle. But And if I could just quickly here, just to give an example of the difference here between uh, natural knowledge, that would be just necessary truths. Mm-hmm. That that would be just the way that the world is. Like innate you know? things, right? Like yeah. with natural knowledge, you, you just have, these are these are just logical truths. Right. The The sort of, the sort of one plus one equals two sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, whereas with regards to, um, or, or for example, that you can't have a square circle or, yeah. you know, those, those sorts of things. And then with regards to free knowledge, we're talking about the choices that God makes. These are, these are God's choices, such as God chose to create the heavens and the earth sort of thing. So in, in terms of like, let's think of it in terms of God creating the world. So before God creates the world, he sees all of the possibilities right? Uh, once a world is created, he has knowledge of everything that will be, right? So the, at the moment of creation, his free knowledge kicks in, um, or at the logical moment. Um, but then so, so let between, me throw, yeah. So let me throw an illustration in here with regards to this middle knowledge. So in other words, you could have all sorts of variations of Troy. You could have Troy that that gets adopted from Jamaica and a Troy that doesn't get adopted mm-hmm. from Jamaica. Let's just use that as an example. And and so one of the questions that could be asked is, okay, does the Troy that doesn't get adopted from Jamaica, does that Troy come to faith in Jesus? Right. Uh, but the Troy that does get adopted to Canada, does that Troy come to Jesus sort of thing? Does does he get saved? And, and so the mi- middle knowledge would say, well, if God knows that Troy gets adopted is going to lead to his salvation, then that's the world that God's going to actualize. Yeah, so some sometimes people explain it this way, right? That when God is about to create the world, it's almost like he has all of these different worlds. It's almost like a library of VHS tapes, right? And all, each tape is supposed to be a, a world. And then he just picks one that is feasible for him, and he plays it, so to speak, like he actualizes the world. He creates that world, in a sense, with all of our free decisions built into it. So in that view, whether you agree with it or not, we still have free will. We have our choices. Um, so whatever happens is, in a sense, our fault or it's it's to our, you know, if you want to call it that, it's to our credit. 
uh, those kinds of things. Well, and sin so, is still sin, right? So sin it, is sin is yeah. still sin. But however, at the same God, time, God becomes is, God becomes like the TVA, right? Right. He he's going to make a sacred timeline, and that sacred timeline is the timeline in which the most amount of people get saved. Uh, sort of idea through their free now, choices yeah through their free choices now i know that there's some molinists that are going to despise the way that we <laughs> portray this and that's fine because the reality is there is there is a variety of flavors to molinism and there are some that think molinism is actually true and there's others that believe that molinism or this idea of middle knowledge is is just uh a a a device, a logical device, and this is really important. A lot of people miss this distinction, that it's a logical device to demonstrate that there is not a contradiction between God's foreknowledge and our free will, yeah. or that there's not a logical contradiction between God's sovereignty and our free will. Right, and that's the, that's the one key difference between... Uh, the sacred timeline in the show Loki and what TVA does and uh, God's, the world that God creates on the view of Molinism is that here you you don't have variances. Like sacred timelines, you can have variances and you have to sort of go maintain it. That's what TVA does. That's what, why they start pruning, so to speak, so that they don't make contact with other multiverses. Here on Molinism, God is absolutely sovereign from beginning to end. Also, another thing that's different is that on Molinism, these other possible worlds that God didn't create, they're not really worlds at all. I mean, in the sense that they're not actual worlds. There is only one actual world. Whereas in the sort of the multiversal view of Loki, um, these are different universes that are actually there. And so that's another difference. I know it's a bit of a fine distinction, but there, there are some places where they overlap and other places where they diverge. This probably went way deeper than most people had anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we can't help ourselves. So there, there's some of you that you were with us for a while there. As we dipped into Molinism, maybe lost some, picked up others. But at least gave you something something to think about, and I, and I really do think when you watch the show, this is a concept they're playing with. Yeah. This this distinction between free and determined, and this is a this is an issue that gets teased out in philosophy, gets teased out in theology. So it was fun to watch it played out in this way. Great storytelling. Uh, I think we're out of time, so we should probably wrap up here. But uh, I got to tell you guys, uh, I, I enjoyed the show, and there's a lot more I think that we could have could have dug into here. Absolutely, absolutely. There, there's so much to unpack in it, and and so for those listeners who are considering watching it, haven't seen it yet, or you know your kids have watched it, take the time to to ask them questions. Ask them questions about how they thought about their own identity, ask them questions about what they think about free will and purpose and desires. It's, it's a, it, there's a lot of great talking points in it. And I think it's important as, as parents, as, as believers to really have a look at, at, at what is being put out there. It's sometimes we, we just get caught up in the entertainment of it all. 
But we also got to remember that there are messages and images and uh, ideas that are being pushed and perpetuated throughout our culture. So take the time. If it's something that you are, you've been on the fence about, being intrigued about, it is, it is well done. It is a great story. It is well portrayed. And you may find some of your own talking points. So if there's anything else that, that we might have missed in the show, feel free to, to, to leave a comment on this podcast. Get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your, your take on the Disney Plus series, Loki. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this week's podcast. As always, we pray that it was challenging and encouraging. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. And as such, we have made it available on all of your favorite streaming platforms. So make sure you find the AC Podcast and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If something we said today challenged you or resonated with you, please feel free to get in touch with us. You can reach out to us at our website at ApologeticsCanada.com. Or if you prefer to send an email, send us one at info at ApologeticsCanada.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Join us next week as we find more things to think about. In the meantime, as always, love God, love people. Bye for now.